What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye. This is as loud as it gets. Fuck you, Siri. Get out of here. <laughs> Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll. What up, what up, Meepsters? My name is Ryan Rainbow, and we're back again, continuing the journey through the catalog of Roadrunner Records. And this week, we are discussing Boy Wonder and their sole Roadrunner release, Wonderwear. In 1997, wanting to get in on the hoppin' and poppin' alternative music scene, Roadrunner used an old trick from their prior playbook and acquired a smaller indie label, this time Boston-based Cherry Disc. Cherry Disc had previously had success with bands like Semisonic, who you know from Stanley singing their hit song Closing Time on The Office, and Letters to Cleo, who you know from Ben singing their hit song Here and Now on Parks and Rec. However, Boy Wonder never got to be a bit on an NBC sitcom, but the wonder herself, the divine Paula Kelly, still was nice enough to talk to me about this album. But first... Not unlike Paula Abdul and MC Scat Cat in the hit song Opposites Attract, we go three steps forward and two steps back because a past episode on Shooty's Groove mentioned the band Tree featured on a song. Tree was also on Cherry Disc, but did not release anything on Roadrunner. So before we talk to Paula about making the migration, let's talk to River from Tree about staying planted. Alright, so we got signed to Cherry Disc because the guy that ran Cherry Disc and uh, this other guy, Graham, that worked with him, uh, both went to Framingham State College where I went, and they knew me through reputation. reputation uh, re- uh, well, I knew I knew Graham, and I knew John just through, like, you know, just you know, that he went there, and then he was doing Cherry Disc. And uh, we wanted to get on, like, we were looking on, to get on something, and we were killing it here locally at shows, like, putting on like all our friends were coming out and supporting us and then and people were digging us that weren't our friends so that was also pretty amazing you know so all of a sudden we had we had a lot of attention and and we got signed to cherry we got signed to cherry yes but we didn't like have like a we, we were just like you know we were still kids we didn't have like a manager or a lawyer or any of that stuff and and we signed a stupid deal <laughs> and uh kind of like like I, I don't know, got like hooked up with them for like a bunch of like uh, CDs. So we had to put out like I don't know, I think it was like five, something like that. So I can't even remember. And uh, so when the whole like and and then like the whole charity thing, we didn't have like the best, you know, we didn't have the best relationship with them. They were, they weren't giving us merch. We weren't getting any tour support. We were doing all, like all the touring. 
uh, book it all touring ourselves or with our, we got ended up getting our own booking agent. So uh, when it came to them jumping over to Roadrunner, <clears throat> we thought, oh, cool, finally, you know, Roadrunner will put it out and like it will, we'll, we fit more on to that label anyways. I mean, Cherry Disc wasn't really known for like heavy bands. They, like they were known for like Letters to Cleo, you know. So when Roadrunner acquired all their stuff, uh, you know, we, you know, we didn't know what the hell was going on, and then uh, it just didn't pan out the way we hoped. And we we're like, oh, okay. It was we were a little like uh, blown away, but at the same time, we were kind of like figures. <laughs> Yeah, because like you mentioned, Tree is the most uh, Roadrunner-sounding band on Cherry Disc by by a long shot because Cherry Disc has, like you said, Letters to Cleo, Semisonic was doing big. I think that's probably a big reason why Roadrunner... Oh, that's uh, right, Semisonic, yeah, that's right. So there was a lot of pop bands that were doing good, and there was this band, Otis, that was like a heavy band, too, that was that that almost got signed to some uh, uh, European label, that, and they were heavier, uh, kind of like us, but uh, the guys was more of a singer than a, like a screamer. I mean, like we did, you know, we were like a punk rock, hardcore, new hardcore style band, you know, it's like we did what we were supposed to do. We went out, we played killer shows. We, we got a good following, hung out with all the fans, hung out, made friends with everybody we could, you know, toured as much as we could, went out and did it, got sh- shitloads of radio play. We were also kind of rebels and did our, like we just did it. Like we did it old school style. We did it punk rock style. Like, like a lot of bands would just hook us up. It's like we were on a tour one time with, uh, what was it like Earth Crisis, Downset, Cold Chamber, and us, right? And uh, in the middle of the tour, like, and then like towards, we were only supposed to be on it for like two weeks, and then we had our own dates to go across country. And then Cold Chamber got picked up by uh, Sharon Osborne, pulled them off the tour, and put them on tour with uh, Danzig. Yeah, dancing at the time, and then uh, so we just took we just took Cold Chamber's spot, and that kind of pissed off a lot of people in New York too. We, we just kept playing on the tour, but we also so we kind of like so we you know we bent the rules a little bit. You know, we're just having fun trying to play good shows. But we did work with like uh, Roy Z, so we did like some pre-production with Roy Z, so that was awesome, you know. And then we worked with this other guy, Lamar Louder, for Planet Tree to Die, and uh, he came he he. He he was recording us, and he lived right down the street. So we came to our pra- a bunch of our practices and hung out, and we did pre-production of practices, you know, which we had never really, you know, done before. So like that was like our really kind of our first time doing like a pre-production before recording. So it was cool. It was good. It helped, you know. And then the next one was the radio bootleg. It's like we played on the radio at NPR. And uh, we recorded it and it came out awesome. It's fucking hilarious with our friends all drinking in the background. So when we were on tour with Cher- like Cherry Disc, would never give us any product. Like so, we didn't have no CDs. So what I did was I bootlegged ourselves. Like I, I made the tapes of like of, the, of us playing off the radio. I just made like a two sided tape, like how we were talking earlier. The tapes are back. I just made these two sided tapes, and the thing took off, and it was so good that I ended up like, oh, well, I should. The record Cherry Disc was like, can we put this out as a CD? You know, I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> can we get some copies of that when we go on tour? Because that's the deal, you know. Roy Z, who famously worked with uh, Downset a lot, how did you get hooked up with him yeah. from touring with Downset? From Downset, yeah. Downset turned him on to us, and then he wanted to work with us. 
we found out that we were looking to do uh, another album. We played, we sent him some some tracks of our sh- the newer shit, and he's like, "Come on out and do it." And we're like, "Well, we don't have the money that you're gonna need." And he's like, "I'll do it for this much," you know. And we're like, "What, really?" And he's like, "We did it in our budget, so we went out and did it." great fucking experience amazing experience so what kind of influence on the record do you think he brought that you wouldn't have had without him you know i don't know he's he brought our groove out a lot you know what i mean because we were coming from the east coast and we we're like we we're kind of blasting a lot of the hardcore like hardcore stuff and using the groove it's just kind of more of a breakdowny styley shit or a groove i don't know like i don't know i think he kind of brought he definitely in, in, in one song truth he like he helped us, he like, we, we kind of like rearranged it with him and like made it like more like streamlined. It's almost like a race car driving hardcore song kind of, you know, it's like a driving song, you know. <laughs> and uh, before it's like kind of more of an emotional journey. It's like a three part thing, and it, which was cool and stuff, but it turned, he turned it into more of like almost like a hit song, you know. And, uh, and he also taught us like, hey, you know what, just try... He's like, the biggest thing he taught us is this. It's not, you're not working, you're not carving in stone. You just try different ideas with music. You can try it, tune it down, see what it sounds like tuned down. Tune it back up to normal, see what it sounds like that. Play it a little faster, play it a little slower. Cut out a part, add a part, you know, like play that part twice as long. He's like, just try ideas. Be open to ideas. Don't be all rigid. Be flexible. You're, you're, you're working in air. You know what I mean? It's like you're not working in stone. So like that was like, that's the biggest that was like the biggest gift he gave us you know it was like oh yeah we'll just try it and then after that it's like just try it we're working in air we're working in air so just try it it's like okay yeah you're right you're right just try it see what it's like okay recording you know try it river working in air planting trees i like what i'm hearing yeah I guess when we started Tree, it was like we didn't really have a name. We were actually going to call it YXL, you know? And it's like, YXL, why bother? Why try? And it's just like, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be in a band that's like fucking just negative. You know what I mean? It's just like, why bother? Why try? Then you know what? Don't do not do it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, well, and I might even plan Tree to die at the time. I guess like graffiti, as my graffiti war, you know? Like, everywhere so i'm like call it tree you know and uh jake and his brother yuck were just like yeah tree perfect that's it nice it's short and it's like people are gonna be all confused it's awesome perfect and i'm like yeah and we're a hardcore environmental environmental band planet tree or die and they're like yep that's that's what we are and i'm like nice and then then we found a then we found a drummer and we wrote more songs and it wasn't a weed reference the tree thing no, no, that came later. That okay. came later. No, seriously, that 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 reference is a later reference. Because we'd be like, "What's the name of the band?" Like, depending on where we are, it's like you know who the person is. But like, usually we're in like some shitty neighborhood. And dude's like, "I like tree. Like, give me like trees." And we're like, oh, "Yeah, of course it was weed." <laughs> we're psyched. So bonus. But we got you know we've always been like a pro weed band, I guess. You know, played the pot rally. I think more than. Like, we played the pot rally more than any other band. Roy Z also worked a lot with Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden fame and did a song with him for the ECW Extreme Music soundtrack. Were you ever into he, wrestling? He, 
of course I was in, of course I was into wrestling. Of course, like yes, of course. But like my areas, like George the Animal Steel, uh, like uh, who else? Uh, uh, Mil Mascaris, remember that guy? This is Mexican dude. He was awesome. Like he he wore the the masks, and he was just like uh, super gymnastic. Uh, like Snuka, who else is it? Like there was, you know, that's the era. No, Mascaris. He famously would refuse. He would not lose. Like if he came to America to do a match, he's like, I'm not doing the job. Really? Is that was his thing? Because like he was just like so athletic. He was like actually athletic and like uh, aerobatic. And, like he would just, you know, I was like, how the fuck is like that guy's all like like Snuka too? Like Snuka would do these huge sky like jumping off the the top like wrong and stuff. But yeah, you know, you know, he grew up. I grew up in the seventies, so. Wrestling was huge. It's like a big deal. You know, people say it's not real. I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm looking at it. You know, I mean. Well, you know what I say. What's real? What's not real? Right. Pro wrestling is real. People are fake. But uh, yeah, Mil Mascaris famously, uh, because he was such a big star in Mexico, he wasn't going to come to America and lose and then go back to Mexico like as a loser. So he was like, yeah, I'll come do your little, you know, local show, but I'm going over, brother. I'm not, I'm not getting pinned. That's such a great, that's a, such a great thing to know, man. That is so cool. So you do end up on the Shooty's Groove album that comes out on Roadrunner. You're on the song Diamond Mine. Can you tell me about that? Uh, yeah, so, so we get to meet Shooties back in the day through the Boston's. So the Boston's played a bunch of shows with Shooties. We got, we all became friends. We all hang out and shoot the shit. So like, I, I always go on these tears, like when I'm at the bar drinking, like on something, I don't know, I get all like go on like a tear and uh, like a rant. Right. So they're like, Hey, we want you to be on this album. And this is, you know, the, here's the, here's the, you know, Here's the name of the you know the song here the lyrics that we got, so I wrote all these lyrics out all these like different possibilities just so I'd be have my ass covered when I get down there right, and uh so I get down there and like like you know trees all with me I think we're like we're on the road so we we cut through to do this we're stopping to do this and and uh like we're all excited and it's like we're all hanging out with these guys and I get in there and I get get the thing going and so they pull up pieces of paper and they're looking at me and I'm like and they now it's my turn and I'm like go and I, I drop all these lyrics that I write and they're like uh whoa 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 and I'm like oh shit I already suck oh my god already <laughs> like I got I got like lots more stuff I got all this stuff they're like no 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 wrong dude wrong and I'm like ah oh, ah oh, fuck really wrong so like yeah, man, we don't we don't want you to do lyrics, dude. We want you to do your Davism. And I'm like, I'm like, my my what? They're like, yeah, 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 your Davism. You know, you know, when you get all worked up and you go on your rants and stuff, like you know, when you're drunk at the bar at the show, you get like, doing that spiel, and I'm like, oh, right, right, right. Like really? Like I wrote all this stuff. I'm like no, no. I'm like no, I can't. Oh, you don't even want to hear it. They're like no, no. Can I yell when I wrote? They're like no, no. You just like do what you do. Like <laughs> well, I don't care. Like about something. Get like get upset about something. I'm like I'm like ah oh, ah. Oh, all right. Uh, well, you know. So like we're not drinking. I'm sober. I want to be good, right? 
So I'm like, well, I'm going to need like a half pint of whiskey and a 40. And like, is there a liquor store around here? They're like, yeah, well, just one second. They, read. they got the half pint. They got the 40. Came back. I like, you know, took a couple sips, drank half the half pint, went in there, came up to my, my to the spot, and I did what I did. I did that one that one take, and they're like, okay, yep, that's it. And I'm like, what, can I do another one? They're like, no. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I can't do another one. They're like, no, that's that's it. That's good. I'm like, yeah, but I swear in the middle of it, I I, I don't even, I could like maybe they're like, nope, it's fine. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, really? All right. I'm like, wow. So I'm good. That's how good I was. Yeah. You know? One take. That's right. So like, one take. One take, dude. Thank you very much. That was funny. That what an honor, dude. Like, dude, it's like I tell you, like getting to be in a band and just traveling around and playing and meeting all these other groups, and then. You know, not just liking their bands, but getting to be friends with these guys. And they're like, hey, you want to come sing on our albums? Like, what? Yes. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit more about the uh, the environmental politics of the band and kind of how that was influencing the songs? Oh, absolutely. It's like, uh, well, you know, I grew up listening to Irish music. And then also when I first heard pop rock music, I'm like, finally, it sounds like more like, sure, I listened to Led Zeppelin and... Uh, Black Sabbath, they're like, no. I hear punk rock is talking about stuff that's like about stuff today, you know, like about current events, kind of, you know what I mean? And uh, like Irish music was kind of like that. And I was like, oh, music that has like about current events, music that like talks about what's happening right now. Awesome. And then when it came to like be in a band and like it was like, like when I decided to do Tree, I was already out writing Plant Tree You Die because, you know, to me that makes sense. And uh, I was being funny, but I was, I was also, try, you know, not being funny because uh, I guess I've always been an environmentalist. Like, I got to grow up, I was like born in the city, but I grew up in the suburbs. And when the world would fucking go to shit around me, I'd just go out in the woods and get, it would get quiet and it'd be awesome. And I'd be like, yes, this is good, you know? It's like if, it, it could have been the woods, you know, but tree was, was you know, it was tree because <laughs> because tree is actually a symbol of like you know life and of like history and of family and you know so it has a lot of these other strong metaphors that that I wanted to like play off of too, but yeah, so I didn't realize how political I was until I started doing uh doing art and music and, and my stuff was p pretty political and people were like, why are you so political? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. these things are important. I mean, what else do you want me to, you know, what do you, what do you want to sing about? Like, you know, love's important. I hear a ton of songs about love. That's great. But trees are important too. I'm going to sing a song about trees. Like landfills suck, you know, deep well injections. Those things suck. You know, those things are important. So we'll write a song about that, you know? fracking we were talking about fracking but back then they called it deep well injections 1990 did you ever play with power like man 5000 all, all the time oh man that's so sick all the time i met sue too i went and i saw uh power man play at uh like avalon in boston uh -huh. 
And I'm just hanging out in the crowd, and they did question abuse, and they had me, they pulled me up, and I got to seeing question abuse. I'm like, get the fuck out of here! Oh, man. And then after the show, I got to hang out with them at, at backstage, and I got to miss, got to meet and hang out, literally hang out with Spider and fucking Rob Zombie's mom and dad. I hung out with them for like an hour talking, like, so what do they like? Like, like talking, like they just spilled the beans, no problem. Like, I'm just like. We were all buddies. And I'm like, yeah, I was a total fucking weirdo. I used to get, like, fights all the time. Like, oh, they fought all day. They used to get in fights all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I bet. I mean, it was like, and it was, dude, it was just totally classic. So let me just make sure that I'm <laughs> understanding. You're telling me the Power of Man 5000 did a tree cover, and then you did the song with them? Yeah. Like, in, unplanned. I just showed up, and I was just standing there. And they're like, hey, you want to come up and do question abuse? And I'm like, what? You guys do question abuse? Like, yeah, hey, we do it on our sound checks all the time. But Spider never sings it. Can you do it? I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. Listen, man, that's the fucking coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. All right, I got, I'm going to tell you that right now. So these days, do you still go by River? Are you Dave? I'm River. I'm totally fine. I've been stuck. I've been stuck with River. So, and when Tree broke up, all of a sudden I became, I became that's when I became Dave Tree. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, because so, that was your. There, here's, 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 all right, here's the arc of my name. I'll give you this one. So people call me River. Because uh, when I was a kid, I stole a bottle of whiskey with a couple of friends of mine from my dad. And we went and drank it in the woods and went to the movies. But we got to the movie theater too early. So not knowing that, like, drinking a bunch of whiskey, like, kind of, like, just creeps up on you and gets you wasted. All of a sudden, it crept up on us and we got wasted. And my, my two of my friends were like, we're going to go, I'm going to go to Ice Cream Friendly's. Like, just like an ice cream chain here in, you know, the Northeast. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to jump over this fence where all this grass is and smoke weed here and come over here and meet me here. And so I jumped over the fence and on the other side of the fence, it was really just a, a steep incline into the river, but you couldn't tell because the grass just could just hid the, you know, how, what the, how the ground went. So I went tumbling down and almost drowned and, and uh, disappeared for a couple of days. So then the older kids started calling me river to beat on me to give me a hard time. And uh, and it stuck. So when the band started, we're like, well, we should just go by our nicknames because, like, you know, we're a punk hardcore band, and like, why not, you know, go by our nicknames and like that way people will already think like they're they're our buddies, you know. And uh, and then and also having an alias was like a, a great a great thing, which I didn't realize at the time, but it was awesome having an alias. If you're gonna be in a rock band or an artist, having an alias, hey. <laughs> Go for it, you know. Right. So, uh, so, so I'm River Aldering Tree, and people would think it's actually my real name. I'm like, oh, like River Phoenix, and I'm like, no, not you know, not really. You know, I'm more of like mine's like a nickname. His is more of like a real name, but and he's like River Phoenix, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm just <laughs> River. And uh, and uh, so uh, when the band broke up. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go back to my real name. And I'm just going to start using my real name as an artist and as this, that, and the other thing. And then people just started calling me Dave Tree. And I'm like, oh, no. And I made the mistake. Like, But I would encourage people not to do, if they were in my position, and listen to me and learn from my, learn from my, my ways. I was like, uh, I made the mistake of telling people that I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Like, hey, man, don't, like, don't call me that. I don't like that. You can be guaranteed that that is, that is all they will call you for the rest of your life. 
you know. Thanks to Dave, or River, or Mr. Tree, the Lorax, whatever you want to call him, just make sure you check out his new band called See This World. You can hear their most recent album, The Future is 2020, on seethisworld.bandcamp.com, and you can also see the almighty Tree back in action in October of 2021 in Boston with Sam Black Church. Details to follow, so stay close. Now on to our main event. Paula Kelly had experienced success in the band Drop 19s and was ready to do something more personal, which eventually led to the formation of Boy Wonder. That led to signing to Cherry Disc by then-label owner-turned-roadrunner A&R rep John Horton and releasing their album Wonderwear on The Big Bird. Simple enough, right? We'll see. Greg and I didn't get along. We were on tour. I actually didn't even really want to be in the band. I recorded an EP with them because we were in the same dorm at BU, Greg and I. And um, so I was a girl who played guitar. And he's like, awesome, I need a girl in the band. So, you know, we recorded. And then Greg really, really wanted me to go on tour with them. I said no because I thought he was kind of, you know, not somebody I really wanted to spend time with. But the album really, they got traction. They were being um, just courted by a lot of labels and he was begging me and I was like, all right, that sounds cool. So they were going to the UK. And I went and it was horrible. I mean, the shows were really fun. We got to meet a lot of, um, you know, people in the shoegaze scene, but Greg was just horrible. I felt really ostracized. So I quit the band while we were on tour. It made Greg really irritated, of course, and he begged me to stay. I said, no, <laughs> I stayed in London. I lived there for a couple of years. They got a new girl in the band who like sounded just like me and they gave her a guitar and didn't plug it in when she was on stage. Oh, they just, wow. like, played a track and she was like the ghost me. It was pretty funny. So I stayed in England and I started a new band, which wasn't Boy Wonder, it was called Hot Rod. And I tried to get us signed over there. That didn't work. Um, I almost did. Boy, uh, Drop 19s was on Caroline, what, or were on Caroline, that's what they say over there. Drop 19s were on Caroline, which was subsidized by Virgin. Um, I just ran around trying to get the band together, trying to, you know, I met with all these people, didn't happen. Went back to the States. Caroline finally signed us over here put out one record, a Hot Rod record um, on Caroline and it didn't do anything. Um, I think they just wanted to like keep me on the label on the off chance that maybe some Drop 19's fans would, would give a shit about Hot Rod and they didn't. Um, it was a pretty good record. I was proud of it. Anyway, after that, I uh, decided to, I took some, a couple of years off of BU. That's where we went. Um, Graduated while I was doing that. That's when I formed Boy Wonder. It was a it was really a revolving kind of band. The constants were me and the drummer Bruce. And he was the first one I met. He was great, steadfast, excellent, excellent guy, quality guy. And um, 
Started off with these two dudes, Scott and Tom, <laughs> made a shitty EP. Then we put out the single. Yeah, I was going to say that the Mission to Destroy single that I have has a completely different lineup than what's on the full-length uh, Wonderware on Roadrunner. And Mission to Destroy, that song actually survived and made it onto Wonderwear. But yeah, we were I just can't believe how how different things are just like with <laughs> so much of bands back then was just like running around doing flyers, going to like Kinkos. Do you remember like Coffee Cop and Kinkos and I don't I don't know like Yeah, I was just talking about Kinkos recently because you know it doesn't exist. It's FedEx office now or whatever. But they I even um, have it. Like they have like Xerox machines and shit like this. Yeah, they do. They do. I mean it I guess FedEx bought out Kinkos, and so it's really a FedEx store, but it has like a copier and scanner, and you can do all the things that you would have done at Kinkos back then. And, um, and it was 24 hours. You know, that was another thing about Kinkos. It was always open. So you'd be there at 3 a.m. making your flyers or whatever, and usually you'd get in with whoever worked there too. So maybe you could get a little off the top for that colored paper or whatever, right. um, which I assume you're kind of alluding to the boy wonder layout kind of looks like this, like um, mixed media patchwork thing that you would have done to, to make a flyer. I worked so hard on that. We were kind of consistent with that sort of. The artwork for Wonderware inside is kind of like an image for each song and the image for mission to destroy is the seven inch single. When we really liked the sort of retro thing. When we say we, it was mostly me, <laughs> um, but and I don't mean it was me because I don't think it's like that right. amazing or anything, but I really put a lot of effort into that, like with the the inside of, of Wonderware with the, you know, the like old life magazines and the clippings. And I had the whole thing like laid out on the floor. And that's like one of the few things that really worked out that like came out how I wanted it to. Anyway, but yeah, so Scott and Tom on the seven inch, we got some traction out of the seven inch. That's what we started getting good shows. Um, I mean, we just did the thing. That's how it worked. You, you did the leg work and um, eventually like we, I don't know if you've spent time in Boston at all. What did you study in BU? A lot of, I, when I started, I was like philosophy, film, English. Then I, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Um, well, I wanted to do music is what I wanted to do. And so um, when I quit job 19, went to England, came back. Then I majored in history. I just really wanted to study. I did um, American Cold War foreign policy for a year and a half and graduated. You put out the seven inch and that yeah. draws the attention of Cherry Disc at the time who are kind of doing some things locally. It must have. I don't remember actually... I don't remember the day I met John Horton, but um, we got in with this club, TT the Bears. Don't know if you've heard of it. Um, in Boston, the like the major sort of indie venues were um, the Middle East and TT the Bears. It's like you were either in with one or the other. Um, I mean, the you know the bands doing you'd play both, but but you kind of had your your home club, and ours was TT's. Um, the Boston music scene was really great, like in the 90s, early 2000s. Um, I don't know if it's like that anymore. I've been back a couple of times and it seems, I mean, of course it's different, but it was a really great little, little community. Um, 
So yeah, we, we did pretty well. Um, Horton got, yeah, we were talking to a couple of labels. I mean, just small ones and I don't know. I, at that point, I didn't have like grandiose dreams. I mean, of course I wanted to like, you know, getting signed was a huge thing back then. It's, um, but right around then, like it was when a lot of bands were just really getting screwed by major labels. So I wasn't, I I wanted to make a lot of money, but I knew what was going to happen. I mean, I wasn't in it to make money. Um, Who doesn't want to make money? But um, like our friends, the dam builders had just gotten fucked by some Boston bands who were just like, they were, uh, it was epic. They just gotten signed to Epic and dumped after, after one record. I mean, shit was starting to go bad around then. Anyway, yeah, Cherry Disc had, right, they had Letters to Cleo, they had Trona, they had Tracy Bonham. They were, they were a really strong, small label. So yeah, I was just... Truthfully, I was just really happy somebody wanted to put out a record and he would do it. He would, he said we could record it for an Apache, which was great. I mean, I was just really excited to do that. And yeah, and Horton, he was a really like, he was a party guy. He would give these huge parties like in his house in Cape Cod. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I can't, I'm not going to lie, like, the rock scene had a, a, you court bands by just, like, a lot, getting them drunk, having a great time. I was in my 20s. I actually, I drank a lot. I've been sober for eight years now. Just putting it all on the line right now. (laughs) So John Horton, one way or another, you meet him. He signs you to Cherry Disc, which is blowing up kind of at the time, like you said, locally especially. But it's getting some national traction with like uh, Letters to Cleo and yeah. Semisonic was kind of doing some things at the time too. Yeah. So when do you find out that your album's going to be on Roadrunner because of Cherry Disc being acquired by them? Pretty soon after. Um, and I remember when he told me it was it was a big deal. Um and right away, I got a rep at Roadrunner, who I actually spoke to my Roadrunner guy a lot more than I spoke to Horton. Horton was really quiet. Like, um, Graham was great, too. Graham um, helped us a lot. Horton was pretty hands-off. I just remember what he did was party a lot. And, uh, yeah, that that works with a lot of bands and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, it actually didn't hurt with me, but, but yeah, Graham, um, Josh. Yeah. The record came out. One thing that really bummed me out though, the one thing that he um, was really defiant about was the single. He really wanted it to be my favorite idol. And that pissed me off. That's when, that's when um, things started to kind of go South. When you say he, you mean John Horton wanted My Favorite Idol to be the single? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like at the end of the record, there was like no way that was going to be. There were 14 songs on the album. We had like five days, I think, to record it. And okay, in this iteration of Boy Wonder, we brought in another songwriter, Jake. Um, Jake's Zveracki. I always at that point in my life, I wanted to actually be in a band. I didn't want... 
I didn't think I wanted total control. I was like, I was a band girl. I was in a band like right when I, when I got to be you, I was playing like a, some shitty coffee house. And like, there was this band there who scooped me up. We're in a band and Drop 19s was a band, even though I hated them. And then um, Hot Rod was a band, even though it was me. Like, I really wanted to share control with somebody because it was really hard to do everything by myself. But then I realized, it took me a long time to realize that I actually really did want to do everything myself because Jake's songs, I think, really are kind of, they're Jake's. The album, I don't think, is terribly cohesive. I think I Would is a great song. We didn't spend the same amount of time on all the songs. Like, that's why my favorite are all like, towards the end of the record. It's not, there are a lot of things that we need to smooth over and I was just like we can't do that my god the vocals are out of tune and just like it's rough and shit it probably like would have been a b-side or something but if he had told us that at the beginning we would have like polished it and you know um like I think softy would have been a great single anything anything else would have been a better single than my favorite idol but he was like, nope, if you want this, it's going to have to be that song. I'm just like, all right, fine, whatever. And um, Was there a song you had in mind for being a single? Was Softy what you were leaning towards? Softy, Make Me. Well, I mean, we just did a video for Make Me on our own because um, we were so pissed. But I mean, nothing did anything anyway, because then um, they had started like the, the thing with Roadrunner fell apart. But John never told us that. We didn't know what was going on. Um, we just thought like, wow, okay, John doesn't care about us anymore. Like, Well, when Cherry Disc does get acquired by Roadrunner, it seems like only two bands put out records with Roadrunner. So there must have been something about Boy Wonder that was attractive to Roadrunner, right? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were so different, though, than everything else they they did. I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was like... I mean, we had a like walking disaster mission. Like we had, I mean, a bit of a rough edge at times, but. Roadrunner actually had a really eclectic catalog. The things that hit and that they're known for are, you know, the more aggressive things, especially in the 90s. Obituary, Deicide, Sepultura, like these death metal bands. I certainly don't disagree that there's nothing like Boy Wonder on the label at the time, or maybe even before or after, but there's also lots of anomalies at that time. Right, know? right, right. Yeah. So I guess that what I would say is I can see them hearing it and being like, oh, we could probably have a hit with this, but it doesn't seem like maybe the time or effort was invested to make that happen. But, you know, I don't know how much that had to do with the relationship with uh, John Horton specifically. Yeah. Um, communication just like fell apart. I mean, I'd like to think it was the timing that, I mean, not that that's a great thing to think. I'd rather think it was the timing um, and not the fact that we sucked or they hated us, <laughs> why, it, why it didn't work out. But, um, but yeah, so. Well, one thing I wanted to point out too, that you brought up is I thought it was very interesting that it goes from the single Mission to Destroy, and then you have that new lineup. And not only is that new lineup, new people, but you have, like you mentioned, a new person contributing songs. And yeah. going back to the Drop 19s, 
um, you know, I don't want to hear this guy sing. I want to hear you sing. And so those songs aren't bad by any means. I'm not trying to be too yeah, uh, no. disparaging, but they're not what, when I'm listening to the album, they do like kind of take me out of it, especially the last song, Gone, is like this funky, <laughs> so like that's how you're going to end the record. I know, um, I know. We should have ended with Look at the Sun. I mean, I listened to that album. I'm like, what the fuck were we thinking? Like the the order and I mean, yeah, like I uh, I thought I wanted, again, like I thought I wanted to be in a band with another songwriter. Jake and I were, we were friends. It ended up badly because it, he was like pissed off that all his songs were kind of at the end of the record, except I would. I mean, it was just like, I didn't know what I wanted. Um, I was afraid to take control, maybe because, uh, you know, because I'm a woman, I was afraid to say what I wanted. Um, it took me a while to kind of grow into that. Um, you know, I worked with all men and it, it was hard for me to like assert control. Now I don't give a shit. I mean, I like. <laughs> I can certainly understand wanting to maybe distribute the workload and maybe the pressure of being like, oh, I have to write these 14 songs. I get that. I almost yeah. feel like it wouldn't be as jarring or a problem for me at all. <laughs> it's like, it's a problem for me. Um, if you were the one singing the songs that, you know, even if he wrote them, like I think yeah. about um, Liar, Liar Baby. Yeah. And I actually think that that song is pretty sick. And it almost sounds like Fountains of Wayne, though, with him singing. Whereas I think if you were singing, it would sound like Boy Wonder, you know? Yeah, yeah. Why the name Boy Wonder? Were you a, a big fan of Robin or was it the irony that you're a girl and it's Boy Wonder? It was more the latter. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Really, really deep thinking there. But <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it's enough. You don't need much more than that. Yeah. What does the name Wonderware come from? Is that like Wonder Bra? I, um, well, I loved the retro thing. There was, I just saw when I was looking through, um, like I used to go to thrift stores all the time to find these magazines. I used to dress really retro. Um, and I found this little pattern thing that said Wonderwear on it. And I'm like, oh boy, I wonder Wonderwear. That's perfect. It looks great. I kind of co-opted um, that little booklet thing for the cover. Um, just, you know, based it on Wonderwear. Thought it was cool. Did you wonder where the label support was for this album? <laughs> yes, that was, it was foreshadowing, wasn't it? <laughs> But yeah, you know, in the uh, the videos, you, um, favorite idol, you know, you have that very like retro, almost what pinup is that the right term to s describe what, how you're dressed? And in the yeah, promo photos, yeah, yep. And is that how you played shows? Also, that was like the whole aesthetic of the band. It was my aesthetic. Yeah, the guys um, just wore like. Actually, Jake wore kind of cool suits sometimes. Yeah, it was. D the The guys didn't like, they wore cool shirts. I mean, yeah, you know, <laughs> we had like a no shorts on stage rule, like, you know, but we always, we, we brought it. I don't know how I had the energy to freaking, I dressed up every day. I did the retro, with, I did my hair every day. My God. Oh, well, I drank. That's how I did it. I was like drinking. I had a fucking cocktail while I did it. I'm like, yeah, this is great. You know, like, that's what I did. Did you guys tour for this album? And are you doing this, this get up uh, every night in the van or something? We did tour. We did tour. Yeah. Um, God, what did I do? Oh, I, I, I would do an updo if I had to, you know, 
I, I, uh, I made do. Who did you tour with for it? I don't know if we toured with the, oh, we toured with this band Underball. They were uh, good friends of Horton's. I just remember Horton having the big parties at his house in Wellfleet and Cape Cod and Underball was always there. We'd always play with them. So we toured with them for a while. Um, a lot of times we would just go out on our own. Um, we didn't get set up on a tour. I mean, we didn't get a lot of support like that. Uh, I think he put more effort into the Sheila Divine. We felt like the sort of the, the little the little sister, the, like Sheila Divine's little annoying sister or something. But <laughs> I, we did go around in a van, but yeah, we kind of roughed it. Remember we did like the festivals, we did South by, we did, remember they used to have North by Northeast in Toronto. We did that and we just, we did the crappy club circuit. There are some songs with a piano and synthesizer on the album. Who's doing that? That's me. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I started playing piano when I was really little, like three or four. Yeah, I was, I was good. Um, I did it seriously until high school when I got to, um, I went to boarding school and um, I, uh, I went to Exeter. I played harpsichord there and piano and harpsichord. And I was going to be in the Christmas concert one year doing this Bach, um, this three-part invention. And during exams, I, I didn't learn the part in time for like, I missed a deadline for one of my lessons. I was supposed to learn this part by next Tuesday. I had an exam. I didn't learn it. And she's like, all right, well, you can't play in the concert. I'm like, there's a week left. I'll, I'll do it. She's like, nope, I told you to learn it. You're not going to do it. I'm going to play the part. And I'm like, Fuck. so um, I just, you know, went back and I learned it for the next lesson. And I figured, you know, she was just being a hard ass and, you know, cracking it. So I would get it done. So I came in for the next lesson, played it perfectly. And she's like, wow, that's that's really great. That was amazing. But, you know, still you missed the deadline. So I'm just going to play it for the concert. You can't do it. You fucked up. She didn't say fucked up. But so I, <laughs> I thought that was just so horrible. Like, who does that? You know, like she's so um, I quit. When I was in high school, it was like boarding schools, New England boarding schools. The kids listen to a lot of hippie shit. Like I taught myself Pink Floyd songs and um, well, I did a lot of Beatles too. I started off listening to Beatles, the Bee Gees. Um, I loved the Bee Gees from the time I was a tiny kid. We just had Bee Gees records in the house. So yeah, started playing a lot of like old stuff and then graduated from high school, got out in the real world, got out in the real world, school of life, hard knocks. And I didn't, go back to piano until this record. And were you interested in, you know, like the synth, like the electronic aspect of it with, uh, with that, or that was just, you just played what you would have played on a piano with a digital input. I, with that, I just, um, I was only interested because I wanted the sound to be there. It was like, how are we going to achieve this sound? It wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't going to go whole hog into synths. Did you ever write any songs on piano and then transition them into guitar? Well, after Boy Wonder, well, at the end of Boy Wonder, yeah, actually, I started writing on piano. Um, I, I played piano on stage a couple times. And then when I 
went to the like solo, you know, the Paula Kelly orchestra, I played both on stage, but, but yeah. Um, yes. Is the answer to that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so walking disaster is how oh, yeah. it opens up. And yeah. you know, that's kind of like a short, like quick, like a little more pop punk. I was having a bad breakup. Of course it was worse for him. He was, you know, I, I broke up with this guy. He kept like, doing really fucked up things to me. Like I came back from work one day and he had been in my apartment and left me this really messed up note. He had gone through my trash, found a condom. He's like, Oh, you know, maybe your new boyfriend can blah, 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 blah. Like some really psycho shit. And, um, you know, we're jealous that I was with another guy. So, not too long after that, I saw him with another girl and I'm like, why, what's your problem? Like you can go out with somebody else and I can't and just classic stupid shit. Well, breaking into my house and going through my trash is not classic. That's, that's a lifetime original movie plot. Yeah. Yeah. It's the start of um, going down a really bleak road. He also wrote songs. He, uh, he was in a band. Everybody's in a band, but he, um, shortly before we broke up, he was like, oh, I wrote this new song. What do you think? And, you know, played it for me. And that opening riff, the do 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 it's, it's, um, it was kind of like a part of his song, like the verse in his song goes do 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 do. So I'm sort of sarcastically playing it back at him. <laughs> and then, so it's like do do do, and then it breaks into the, the hard, the, like the rock part. So that's actually so sick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I already really like that song because I like shorter, faster songs anyway, but that just took it to another level. So I appreciate you telling that story. (laughs) Uh, So Softy. Yeah. Has the line, your face reflects the phases of the sun. Yeah. It's like you're showing your, like you can't hide. You're exposed. I feel like the sun comes up a lot on this album, like the the revelation of the light. It does. It does. Um, It's, yeah, I'm breaking through something. Like when I write, a lot of times the meaning of the songs will kind of reveal themselves when I'm done. Yeah, like lyrics will just kind of, pour out of me and then um I'm like oh yeah obviously that's about that but uh like the psychology of that is really strange how you can like sit down and concoct a song and other songs like when I'm writing the melody just like some words will just like flow and they're good and I'll keep them but other times you know just is nonsense so you think that the song meanings sometimes are like subconscious, like you're writing kind of a stream Definitely. of consciousness thing and you figure out later what you were thinking about? Definitely. Definitely. Make Me is about, yeah, just dealing with, dealing with like phony people. You love all the people you once despised. Um, Yeah, I have a lot of like reckoning going on at that time. Um, 
Make Me's got a real Josie and the Pussycats thing going on musically, too. You think? <laughs> That's funny. Which um, I think actually letters to Cleo's vocalist was the one who recorded the music. She was, yeah, Kay. She's out here now, we're friends. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I feel like John Horton kind of wanted us to just be like another Letters to Cleo. And it didn't really work out that way. <laughs> but it's funny because the song doesn't sound like Letters to Cleo to me. It sounds like Josie and the Pussycats. You know what I mean? Like it's very yeah, specific. Yeah. A lot of times people will think that, yeah, like it's upbeat, it's poppy, but then like some of the words get pretty dark. Kay, famously, or maybe not famously to you, uh, had to put a restraining order on the singer for the Insane Clown Posse, Violent J, because he was obsessed with her. Yeah, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. When did that happen? Probably like late 90s, probably around this time. God, weird. Insane Clown Posse. He used to talk about her in songs all the time. Not a big Insane Clown Posse fan, I'm guessing. Not not a Juggalo. Not yet. I could see the bridge. Yeah, I can see the bridge. You never know. Away has the piano in it. It's kind of faintly in the background. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. Right. It's just sort of like a stonesy kind of, yeah. But it was different enough that I know I was like, oh, there's piano going on in this song. Whereas like the synth in Liar Baby is like, you know, super upfront. You really want us to know that it's there. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely a Jake song. Yeah, that was a... His songs are fun to play. I can give him that. I love Liar Baby. It's funny because yeah. Liar Baby is like one of my probably top three songs on the whole album. But the other three Jake songs, I'm just immediately upset <laughs> that he's singing. You have a very specific voice that yeah. people are listening to this band for. So when this guy comes in, who wasn't even on the 7-inch, so I'm even more upset that he's... <laughs> You're horned his life way into my life. I love how you put it. I'm upset. Ladder. Yeah. Reminds me of two things. Yeah. One, there was this band called Bewitched that was on the Disney Channel a lot. And they had a song called Say La Vie, where they were like in a treehouse and they're kind of talking about bringing this boy up to this treehouse. And it's kind of vaguely implied they're going to bang the dude, which is a weird message for Disney Channel. And also, yeah. I used to have a Bernstein Bears book. Yeah, yeah. And they had a clubhouse, and it was just a sign that painted no girls allowed on it, on this piece of wood. And uh, those are the things I think about when I hear this song. That's really cool. That's cool you think about that, because... Um... I wrote this song. This is one of the ones that just came to me. Like, it's not about a specific letter or anything, but I, a visual came to me too. And it, it's like one of those fire escape ladders being dropped down for me to like, just help me get out of some situation. Um, it's weird. I have like a weird. Sometimes I get, yeah, I get these visuals. I see when I'm writing songs, when I hear music, I see like scrolls going by. Well, that's cool though. But I mean, even the, it's not, I guess, too far off that you're saying the ladder coming down. I mean, I guess anybody that hears a song would get that idea, but I I kind of, uh, I guess in my mind, I I inferred my own interpretation that you're like trying to, you know, be welcomed into a world that you're not being allowed into. And, you know, you're wanting the ladder to drop down for you so you can, 
come up to it, but um, it's not, yeah. I guess, far off from how you're describing it. You want to, or maybe escape a different world that you're trapped in. Yeah, no, that's really cool that, that you got that. Um, because yeah, this is one of those subconscious things that I see that damn ladder. It's got chains and then like the sort of metal thing. It's like, you know, one of those, you drop it down. It's like a fire escape ladder, except I'm not dropping it down. I want to come up. I don't imagine that I want to go into a burning building, but I think, I think some, maybe I do. You never know, but no, somebody's like dropping it down for me to, to get in. Like I want to get in somewhere. Well, you know what? I, I kind of breezed over this thing that you mentioned, and I definitely would like to talk about it more is that you said you recorded this in five days, which I feel like yeah. is a, a quick turnaround for an album of 14 songs. Yeah. So the producer, Timo here, Yep. Is that someone that uh, Roadrunner paired you up with or you knew him already locally? I knew him. He actually recorded the Hot Rod album, too. So, yeah, he was really fun to work with. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, we recorded in five days, but I'm pretty sure we had to take a couple extra days to do overdubs. If I'm in the studio, if I have a lot of time, I will take that time. Yeah, I do consider a few of the songs unfinished. Like my favorite idol, my favorite idol doesn't sit well with me. Life isn't fair. Uh, like it's hard to listen to. I'm just like, oh, that should. Now, life isn't fair. Are you referencing the television show Kids in the Hall? Yes, I am. And do thirty Helens agree that this album is really good? <laughs> I hope they do. I don't know. Maybe they would. <laughs> that song's about actually people I went to boarding school with, like Ashley, Lola, and Coco are real people. So they were really watching Kids in the Hall. This is a true story. Well, some friends were, not them. Um, this is just about rich kids who get everything. So many rich kids um, who I'm jealous of. Um, I read Ashley's diary. She was talking about sipping Perrier. She was like, God, I love being rich. I'm like, oh my God, really? Like, she was totally rich. She's like a direct descendant of the Rockefellers. But um, yeah, I read, she was my roommate at boarding school for a year and a half. And I read her diary and just, Paula doesn't understand. I love being rich. I love sipping Perrier on the sidewalk. And blah, blah, blah. Like, you really, <laughs> this really happens? Oh my God, you write this? Wow. Okay. What provoked you to read her diary? Um, <laughs> we were in a fight. <laughs> I was 15. I don't know. <laughs> um, we were best friends and then shit went south. <laughs> um, she, <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking about this. Then Lola came along. <laughs> They like, they just started, they, oh my God. This was 1989. I was in a dorm of 40 girls and like 17 of them were bulimic. They started this bulimic club and I didn't want to be in the bulimic club. And so I was like, God, you guys got to get help. You know, you should really talk to the dorm head. And they're like, if you ever tell anybody, I'm never going to speak to you again. The fight started over bulimia. So was the club articulating that they were a bulimic club or they were a club of people that you felt were all binging and purging? They were actually, <laughs> after freshman year, like Ashley and I became friends freshman year. 
she came back one summer, like the first day back when we were like, you know, moving into our, our rooms, like um, we went and got ice cream that night and she, she was like, we were walking through like, you know, the park going back to our dorms with our ice cream cones. And she's like, come here. And like, we went in the bushes. She's like, I got to show you something. And she fucking threw up. She's like showing me how to throw up and that she's bulimic now and how she's not going to gain weight anymore. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Look at this cool thing. That's very strange to me. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness of bulimia, but I've never heard it presented as like a something sick. Like it's always like something people want to hide from people, not something they form up a uh, club over. I expressed my um, distaste for it and friendship over. Well, it's something that must have stuck with you because years later you're writing this song about it, right? You mean it, like the incident stuck with me? The Yeah, well, the, and just those friendships, those uh, relationships with those people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was only there for four years, but when you're young, it seems like time moves differently. Four years seemed like half a lifetime. I mean, I guess it was, or, you know, when you're 15, four years is almost a quarter of your life at that time. So um, when you are an adolescent and you are living at school, you are always around these people and you're young. You don't know what the hell, you don't know how to live. You don't know like how to be a person and just like everything is explosive. Um, God, it was weird. Weird shit happens when you're living in a dorm full of 40 girls and did you have some behavior issues that your parents were like, I'm sending you off to a boarding school? <laughs> well, I had behavior issues, but that's not why I sent me. <laughs> I got, <laughs> no, I went because, because I was smart. So yeah, I switched schools a few times and um, yeah, they just. So is this a higher quality of education they were trying to get for you? Yeah. Yeah. They were never like really thrilled about the fact that I was doing the rock thing. An EP comes out after this album. So you got dropped from Roadrunner before the band ended. Is that right? It just ended. I don't even remember like the act of getting dropped. I really don't. I was probably like drunk. I was, I was drinking so much at the time. I was doing so much out of van. It wasn't surprising. All I remember is like, yeah, just all of a sudden we weren't on cherry disc anymore it just so how did the band end we did yeah we did another ep we kicked jake out got aaron in aaron's my husband now paul quit joined jake's band got another bass player so totally different iteration of boy wonder um did all my songs the new bass player wanted to do a song of his we wanted to keep it cohesive. We didn't put his song on our EP. He got really pissed off and quit. And then I was like, you know, what am I doing? I just want to, I just want to do my own shit. Why am I trying to be in a band? Then I just went um, on my own. Do you know about the rumble, the Boston rock and roll rumble? I think I do know this because I think the Sheila Divine won it one year. They did. They did. They did. And we were in it the next year and choked. I was so drunk. Oh, my God. Former guests, the the Dresden Dolls were in it one year. I don't know if they won, but they were involved in it. They were on, were they on Roadrunner? Yeah, they were. 
what is your most fond memory of of this time in the band or this time for your life? You know, you make this album. I know that you like the artwork a lot. I know that was a a thing that you uh, look fondly on. But um, at the time, even what was something you were excited about? Yeah, it it was a lot of fun for a while, for maybe a year. Yeah, it was good while we were recording too. Just um. Oh man, it's, it's such a bummer now. Like the anticipation, they're merging with Roadrunner. They're big. We knew, I didn't know a lot about Roadrunner. I talked to Josh about it. We were riding hot, but yeah, it really, when it fell flat, it fell pretty quickly. We, de- we never really knew exactly what was going on though. I'm remembering just a lot of commotion, but a lot of energy too. When you record something, Well, I like being in the studio, but the part I like the most is just when it comes to fruition. So even though I wasn't happy with everything about the album, when it's done and you have a lot of hope, you don't know that it's going to go pear-shaped eventually, but you're like, (laughs) when anything could happen. Thanks so much to the Divine PK for being so open about these songs and this journey and just being cool as hell. You can check out videos for the songs Make Me and My Favorite Idol by Boy Wonder on YouTube. And hey, while you're browsing the World Wide Web, why not go ahead and slap me five stars on the old Apple podcast, huh? Heck, might as well follow the show on Instagram at Meet Me Pod while you're at it. And by golly, come back and see us every week, kinda. Until next time... I'm Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Me. And yes, that's the best I could come up with. Bye!